Progressive Learning Podcast, produced by A Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today, we're continuing to talk about who the Spirit is. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is Richard. It is something a little different this week. It's not our usual conversation roundtable, but we are continuing uh, our recording of a class we did about who the Spirit is that was a follow-up from a Sunday teaching. So if you've not listened to that Sunday, go check it out on Westside's website. If you haven't listened to part one, then go back a week, listen to that. This is part two, a bit more chat and some Q&A discussion time to enjoy. All right. Right, I think what I'll do is just, there are, there's a few more things that I thought of as, um, like, places where you see the spirit in the foreground. You know, so, so all three are doing stuff, but, like, there's definitely, like, uh, some of our interactions with God or some of God's interactions with creation where, like, the Father's in the foreground or Jesus is in the foreground or the Spirit's in the foreground. So I was going to give you a few more. Oh, look, here's some spirit in the foreground stuff. Because it helps us like understand who he is and his role and stuff like that a little bit more. So um, I'll just try to like plow, plow through these, give you like a couple of verses for each one, so you can kind of get thinking about it. Um, if it's something to you're like, oh, that's interesting. Talk, you know, you can ask ask a good question about it. Um, I did want to throw a bit more about the uh, this idea of like a temple. So we read a verse on Sunday about how we are being made into this temple that's a dwelling place. I've actually, I um, didn't want to recommend like 14 books on Sunday, like a little overwhelming, but I am in the presence of nerds because you are here wanting to learn, so I feel released to <laughs> offer another book. But this is a really cool book. I think it, only, I think it was only published last year. It's pretty new. Um, yeah, a couple of years ago. Um, by uh, Scott Duvall and Daniel Hayes, and um, both awesome biblical scholars, and it's called God's Relational Presence. So that was one of the big ideas, was presence, which is the temple thing. And their thesis is basically like one of the central unifying themes of the whole of the Bible is the way that God wants to be like relationally active and present with his people. And that it's like through and through and through the whole thing. So basically, they pull that theme out of the whole of the Bible. So if that's like an interest, this is definitely the book for you. I mean, it's more academic, so you'll have to like have two coffees before you read it. Um, and like my Hebrew is, so there'll be like Hebrew words. But just let it wash over you. It doesn't matter. Keep reading. It'll start making sense in a paragraph. But it's a really good book. Really cool. So recommendation there. What was the first book? It's, uh, it's called uh, Knowing God in the Old Testament. So it's actually three books. It's Knowing the Spirit in the Old Testament, Knowing the Father in the Old Testament, Knowing the Son in the Old Testament. And what he does is he kind of traces like the Son in the Old Testament and uses that to inform how we should think about the Son in the New and does that for each three. So it's a yeah, really cool book. Okay, a bit more on temple stuff. And actually, we already read a bit of, at the beginning of John. So John 1, 14. 
um, having talked about the word and you know the word was in the beginning he gets to the incarnation moment and says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and that like word made his dwelling is tabernacle language <coughs> so it, it's the word became flesh so became incarnate and tabernacle among us like actually set up camp so it's like the image of the Israelites tenting next to each other as part of a unified camp. And, and with the special tabernacle in the middle being like God's tent that unifies the whole camp together. And the word came and then was that tabernacle in our midst. And then John continues like, okay, what was that like? like what does that mean? And it says, we've seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth so this kind of tabernacling templing like relational presence idea is there in, like Jesus initiates he inaugurates this reality where God can tabernacle himself here on earth through a human so he makes that a possibility and then he starts, he starts doing it with us and so I mean, we already read, uh, so I'm just going to read it again really quickly, um, in Ephesians 2, um, where Paul says, we're no longer foreigners and strangers, because we were, he talks about, we were alienated, ostracized from God and his promises and his family and his work and his plan. Um, But now we're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. By being incarnate, Jesus became the cornerstone for this new reality that now we get to be joined onto. And we're being joined together to be that holy temple in the Lord. And Paul, he says something really similar in 1 Corinthians 3.16. There's a lot of good 3.16 verses. Always worth memorizing 3.16. Um, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know? And this is in the context, actually, of Paul wanting to then wag his finger at the Corinthians and be like, stop acting like idiots. Um, but he says, don't you know you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? Like God, he's, that, that's who you are, that's what you are, that's where God is. So if you're going like eat food sacrificed vitals or like affirming that guy who's sleeping with his mother or like all the wackadoodle stuff that was happening in the Corinthian church, he's like, yeah, like if you actually realised what you are and God's actually there with you, that might change something. It's like object lesson in the fear of the Lord. Um, and so, yeah, there's this sort of temple theme. It's another one of those like really important unifying biblical themes. Um, something there are many books written about, but like the garden, the way the garden is talked about is as if it was actually a temple which is why the tabernacle uses all this imagery from the garden, which is why the temple uses all this imagery from the garden, like it, which is why it keeps continuing on, which is why the New Testament uses all this garden imagery when it talks about us and our new life. Um, so it's just like grand, another one of these grand unifying themes across the Bible that's really interesting. So it's something that's kind of related to this like presence, like how close, you know, like what's the access like um, and this is like really exciting for Richard the philosopher 
so bear with me. I hope it's exciting for you. We're going to have to read like quite a long section of the chapter before. So it's 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 onwards. Um, so Paul says this, and he's, he's kind of trying to tease out the way that the world interacts with things and the expectations the Corinthians have and him being like, yeah, but you've you got to know like, God does things differently and because we're God's ambassadors, we're doing things differently. And he says this, he says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So like the Spirit and God the Father, they're tight. Like they totally get each other. The Spirit has full access to all the deep things of God. And then he says, who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? That's, this is the philosophy part, right? I can't climb inside your head and think your thoughts. You can tell me your thoughts, but by the time your thoughts have turned into words, cross through the air to me, turn back into concepts in my head, some version of Chinese whispers have happened. I bet there's a distance between what you're thinking and what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> there's just always distance between us. Always distance, right? It, it, like, if you're married, you know how hard communication is, right? Like, it's just, like 99.9% of our fights are to do with communication, um, and it's not just marriage, it's, it's friendships, it's work relationships, it's like communication's a big deal. And so Paul's like picking at that philosophical reality. Uh, he says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit <clears throat> from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So we're like, okay, so the spirit actually knows God's thoughts, because the Spirit's actually God, perichoretically intermingled, co-mingled with the Father. Like, full access. The Spirit's, like, climbed inside the Father's head. And we're like, okay, we've been given the Spirit, but, like, is it still, is the Spirit going to have to communicate, you know, can I have, like, a senior's moment and just, like, mishear him? Like, like how's this going to work? Like, because we're still not out of the woods. And he says, this is what we speak not in words taught in human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught <coughs> words. So he says, yeah, communication is happening, but actually it's fueled, guided, and empowered by the Spirit. It it's elevates it beyond human communication. And the person without the Spirit, so it's not just the Spirit in the words, but it's the Spirit in the listener. The person without the Spirit can't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God and considers them foolishness. They can't understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, and such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, uh, which is another... You can ignore that. Here's the cool bit. He says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? So that's the kind of question, like, the Spirit knows... And the Spirit's been given to us. And then, like, Paul's almost looking around like, who knows the mind of the Lord? And he says, we have the mind of Christ. And that's perichoresis in action. The Spirit's climbed inside the head of the Father. And, like, the head of Jesus is in there as well. And that, that same Spirit has been put inside of us. To not just, like, externally show us something that we then have to internalize 
but to be able to go right to the root of our soul and give us something internal from the outset. And it's not, you know, like the Spirit still loves to use words and communication and like God is interested in a relationship that's much more complicated than just that. But we have that to hang on to. We are not bound by the laws of ordinary human relationships because of the Spirit of God. That's like mega exciting, mega cool. Um, okay, a few more things the Spirit does. Spirit's in the foreground when it comes to prayer. So the Spirit's this kind of enabler of prayer. Read you a few verses. So Romans 8, 22. Um, uh, yeah, we should read the whole bit of this. So good, it's kind of cool. Um, so we know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So it's broken, but it, there's something like deep within creation that, that like shows that it's broken and shows what it wants, like what reconciliation, what restoration should be. There's a kind of innate, um, innate sense to what that reality should be. And when it's not that, like there's, there's pain, there's groaning, like it, it gets expressed. Um, and not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Because the work of Jesus in us has been inaugurated. That reality's there, but like Jesus hasn't come back. Our flesh is not completely crucified. Like there's more. There's more that's going to happen, and it's not been complete yet. And while we're waiting for that, like creation, we groan inwardly as well. For in this hope we were saved. And a hope that's not seen is no hope at all, otherwise it's not hope. Who hopes what they already have? It'd be like a pretty dumb thing to say. You know, ah, I hope for a glass of water. No, you have a glass of water. Kind of what Paul's saying. Um, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. So there's this groaning, and we're having to be patient. And in the same way, in the same way there's like an innateness to like God's design in creation that causes it to groan, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So it's like when, when there's something like deeply, I don't know, off, where there's tension within us, where our soul just wants to groan, the Spirit actually gives voice to something that we can't even give voice to. The Spirit prays things for us with us that we wouldn't even know to ask for that's really cool like really that because you know let's all be honest prayer is a pretty hard thing to do sometimes and like if our success following Jesus came down to our prayers alone we'd all be dead in the water the Holy Spirit intercedes for us that's so cool um, Ephesians six eighteen, Paul says pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests um, First Corinthians um, in chapter 14 where Paul's talking about the gifts again after talking about tongues topic for another later in the summer 
which the Corinthian church had an obsessive compulsive disorder over, which Paul was having to correct, uh, Paul said, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind's unfruitful. So even like praying in tongues is like something where the Holy Spirit is enabling our spirit to express itself, but our spirit is making like a God connection without our mind really engaging without our understanding, without our words, without our concepts really engaging. So in all these varieties of ways, the Holy Spirit is like active, enabling, empowering prayer. And even in these verses, it's really interesting to notice it seems to be when prayer is hardest that the Spirit is like, it's almost like a reassurance that we're supposed to receive, like the Holy Spirit said, like, some of our most authentic prayers are not long with lots of complicated words in them. Actually, our most authentic prayers are probably the ones where we have food poisoning and we're hugging the toilet bowl. Um, You don't need many words. Like, those kind of moments, the spirit is like, I'm going to be there for you. It's really cool. But it also, it kind of pictures, you know, at this moment in the unfolding of creation and, and God's plan, like God's doing all this stuff to bring relationship close to us but Jesus ascended to be with the Father like the centre of his presence is still somewhere else and there is there is like tension in that and it's kind of interesting that you know the spirit I don't know if prayer was like geographical and like, yeah, the Father and the Son, like the Son's at the right hand of the Father interceding as well. But like that, that throne is like way over there. The Spirit's, you know, like on the other side of the wall. The Spirit's like on our side of the wall. It's like, oh yeah, yeah I, I know there's that tension. I know there's that distance. I, I know there's this like difficulty relating. I'm right next to you to navigate that. So prayer is a really interesting one where that we can kind of see the Holy Spirit like, um, well, like that word, like paraclete, comforter, advocate. Uh, I think it's an analogue of the Hebrew word ezer, which is like someone who comes alongside someone to enable a partnership to happen. It's what um, God said Eve was to Adam, that kind of complementary part of a partnership. Um, and it's not, just, it's not just prayer, it's worship as well. And it's sort of one of these distinctives, like where the Spirit's doing stuff, worship, praise, thanksgiving, things like that seem to happen. So John 4, the classic Jesus talked about with the woman at the well. Um, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus put, like, hey, the Spirit's a really important aspect to worship. Um, Colossians 3. Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and then talks about thanksgiving. But they're songs from the Spirit. Like the Spirit's actually giving us songs to sing. He's enabling that worship and that praise to happen. Like really interesting that we can tend to think of worship as like, man, God's amazing, so now my job is to generate some sense of like trying to honour God for what he's worth. Um, no, even that, which you think of all things, God could rightly be like, 
yeah, that's on you guys. It's like, no, no, the Spirit's going to help you do that. The Spirit's actually going to provide and do that. Um, Jude 1 talks about praying in the Holy Spirit. Um, Ephesians 5, classic Ephesians 5, where Paul's like, dudes, don't get drunk with wine. Get drunk with the Holy Spirit. Like, be filled with the Holy Spirit instead of being filled with alcohol. What will that lead to? You will be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music from our heart to the Lord. Like, a beautiful picture of just like an outpouring of intimacy, connection, appreciation, experience, all through something the Spirit is doing. Really cool. Okay, another distinctive. I'm just like rattling through these now, I know. I feel bad for you. Right hook, left hook. Another idea, another idea. Uh, Don't worry, only a couple more to go. The Spirit's in the foreground when it comes to revealing truth. Uh, And this actually cuts quite deep. Um, I mean, Jesus in John 14 said that the uh, the Father would give this advocate who was called the Spirit of Truth. That's like Jesus' introduction to the Spirit that's going to get sent. It's the Spirit of Truth. Um, and a few verses later in John fourteen twenty six, Jesus said that the Spirit would teach us all things and remind, well, he said to the apostles, teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Um, and not only that, there's this kind of connection back to Jesus and the Father. A couple of chapters later in John 16, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own but he will speak only what he hears and he'll tell you what's to come. So, and that's John. Um, There's bits in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Actually, some of what we read in that 1 Corinthians 2 about having the mind of Christ was about the role of the Spirit revealing truth there as well. I really like this John 16 idea that it's not just the Spirit who has truth, who can like, here, have some truth chuck some truth our our way but he will guide you into all truth like that's a that's a different kind of idea you know he he moves from being like the lecturer at the blackboard with loads of truth to like the coach who's like well we've watched a video of how to shoot a three-pointer now i'm going to spend time with you showing you how to do it until you can like i'm actually going to coach you i'm going to guide you so the Holy Spirit doesn't just like drop truth bombs, but he actually shows us how to respond to truth, which I think is, is really cool. And it's actually a really cool way to like fold up that awareness of the Holy Spirit into the way we interact with like reading our Bibles every day or listening to a sermon or something like that. Sometimes you have that moment where you read something, you're like, whoa, that seems massive or that seems important. And it's like, great. Then what do you do with it you know like you're driving along and someone pulls out and you know the person in the passenger seat is like that looks really important you're like yeah it really is like there's a bus in front of us and you don't do anything (laughs) it didn't really matter and the Holy Spirit's job is to make it matter which I think is really cool like the Holy Spirit's holding us so truth does something and not just us but the Holy Spirit like brings conviction and shows the world how to respond to truth in John 16 again He said, when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So what's right, what's wrong, and the consequences of both. So, And that's the spirit's job. 
Like the Spirit's doing that. He's active. He's in the world doing that. Um, we talked about the being the like creator of new life. Um, like ele- elevating our reality to be something more than just the humans we were. Yeah, it, it, what Jesus does is not come along and be like, oh, you've sinned a lot. I'm going to press the big red, big red reset button in your soul and like take you back to square one. It's so much more than that. I really like this in 1 Corinthians 3, where, um, again, like Paul is just laying into this Corinthian church, like just tearing them a new one, basically. <laughs> But there's so many little gems of truth in the midst of it. And he's talking about how they're infants and they, you know, they have milk, not solid food, and they're not ready. And but then he man, man, we're not done yet. Are you already planning your trip home? Man, that hurts. No, uh, so, that's it, yeah. They're being the guide. There's got to be some Siri, yeah analogy of that anyway yeah um, Paul talks to the Corinthians he says you're still worldly and, and then in um, verse 3 of chapter 3 when he talks about them being worldly he says are you not acting just like mere humans mere humans that's what we used to be we're not mere humans anymore we're more we're human plus God's spirit that really is a game changer. Like I love that. I love that sort of turn of phrase in Paul. Really, uh, really exciting. Um, and yeah, all the classic verses in there about new. I like Romans twelve talking about the renewing of our mind and the Spirit's work in that. Romans eight, where Paul's like, "Hey, it's the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead." And you're like, "Yeah, cool." And then he says, "The same Spirit that lives in you, like the same power that raised Jesus from." the dead is giving life to your mortal bodies um, so really cool so it's creator of new life spirits in the foreground and the last one because I think it's, it's kind of interesting one is the way that the Holy Spirit's job like part of his job is to glorify the Father and the Son so this is kind of interesting in Galatians 4 because we are God's children we've been adopted God sent the spirit of his son into our heart. And then you're like, okay, so the spirit bursts through the door of our heart. And what does he do? Does he go, woo, spirit's here. Notice me. Like, no, the spirit then causes us as he bursts into our life to cry out, Abba, Father. Um, John, again, John 14 to 17, so much Jesus says about the spirit. But in John 16, verses sort of uh, around verse 14, um, he talks about the Holy Spirit and saying that the Spirit won't speak on his own. We had that with the told truth thing. He'll, he'll take what he hears and then give it to us. And then he says, he will glorify me because it's from me that he'll receive what he will make known to you. So the Spirit's like in contact with us. But what he's trying to impart to us he wants us to know is from Jesus and from the Father and so it's this sort of interesting thing like as we uh, become aware of the Holy Spirit one, I think one of the markers of telling whether you're doing it well is as you interact with the Spirit you find that actually I've 
kind of start now I thought I was facing the spirit but now I'm facing Jesus or the father then you're probably doing it right like there's, there's something about the Holy Spirit where he loves to point us he loves to get our attention on Jesus because Jesus is that embodiment of the reality that we're supposed to we're supposed to have our vision locked on and the father's that source like that with so much of our trust so much of what the spirit's doing is rooted in the father and the spirit to be successful he wants us to have that context so he keeps pointing us to jesus pointing us to the father and and the spirit's still like i mean clearly we read a lot of verses about the spirit like the spirit's sometimes in the foreground the spirit's sometimes noticeable but as we notice the spirit i think one of the things the spirit likes to do is help us then be like hey have you met my friend jesus like he's trying to like pass that attention on to jesus and to the father so there you go that's enough there's like big things about the spirit well done you sat through loads um we said this would be an hour and a half that's two hours already um if you are like i didn't bring dinner i'm gonna die i need to leave feel free to leave at any point um it is recorded so you won't miss but question time and what do you got so it could be stuff in the first half stuff in the second half um especially stuff about uh, about the trinity i think the spirit like his roles the stuff in the trinity um if, if it's a question where I'm like, oh, someone's going to talk about that in two weeks' time, I can just tell you. So nothing's off the table. I I saw you first, but you asked I, in the first oh, half, so I feel like we should let you go back to your question. Okay, okay. So you ask the Jewish person, who are they going to say this spirit is? Hmm. So the, they're aware it, of God's spirit. Yeah, they're aware of God's spirit, yeah. And they did have an idea that it was kind of distinct from God. Um, But they didn't formalize that distinctness in terms of a separate person. It's actually, it's the arrival of Jesus being incarnate that provokes an examination of all the evidence. And we're like, uh, what's the clear way to think about this? So they had kind of a fuzzier way of thinking about it. But that was all they needed. It was fine. And so they could kind of blur that distinction of like okay so this the spirit of god is like god present powerfully active um which they is really, they, have, they have access to the spirit of god in other words you know how the spirit would come upon people in yeah. the old testament and yeah. see evidence of that yeah would they think so they they, have... they did right. um but for them it was all bound in that like the access was through the sort of covenantal tools that God had given them in the law and in the temple. So they didn't have access the same way we do. So the scope of access was different. But clearly, like people like David, he was aware of like God's spirit being, like God had anointed him as a leader. And like he could, he knew like that was at risk because of the way he behaved with Uriah. Yeah. So, so they had a boxer. And I think leaders talk about the spirit and those who are anointed, like Samuel, people like they talk about their experience of the Spirit in a in a way that is different, because God God's like anointing for mission is different than God's like presence in the midst of His people, and that's one of the differences. Being Jesus followers, is there's no one who just gets to hang in the camp. We are all 
anointed to be a kingdom of priests. We are all leaders. So we all have a different kind of interaction, different relationship with the spirit than like Joe Average, who was like, I go to the temple once a year, that's good for me. That's, that's not actually our calling. So our calling affects the relationship. So yeah, really good question. Um, so you talked about, I think it's Psalm 32, like the idea of the, the blood of like, you have breath and then you have your mind. We talk a lot about souls. Yes. Is that going to be talked about later? Um, I don't know. Okay. We can talk a little <laughs> bit about it now. Because you know how yeah. like, we're, we're talking about, you know, people have souls, animals don't have souls. Yeah, these, like all, all of these words. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, actually, Bible Project have got like a word series, and I think they talk about. I think they unpack love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So heart, I think heart, mind, and soul get a look in. Um, and mind, like the closest for mind is that is that ruach, like a mindset. Um, heart was the way we think of our brain, like the center of being. Um, soul is actually the Hebrew word for throat. Um, which is kind of kind of weird. So, like the the actual like biblical imagery of soul, we tend to have an idea of soul informed by Western Greek philosophy, which is like there's an immaterial me trapped in my body that will one day like escape it and go to heaven. That's completely alien to the biblical authors. That idea, like they they see at the the human the human person as embodied physically. Now they do have room for an idea of like life, like when the body dies, life continues, but the culmination of things is to, for that life to be put back in a body. That's why resurrection is so important. Um, so And so their idea of soul is, is, is a way of just talking like the whole person. Um, like uh, Song of Songs, like when the lover says to the beloved, I love you with my whole soul. It's my whole nefesh, my whole throat, which is like, is that some weird version of French kissing? Like, what is that? It's like, no, it just means I love you with my whole person. Like all of my embodied self, not just my ideas, but the totality of me. And it's kind of like the word soul, when we'd be like, oh, the Titanic went down with 3,000 souls. You know, we're not talking. We're talking about lives, like like living, breathing, walking around lives. So that's like Hebrew word soul. So yeah, there's a sort of unfortunate thing there. It's even interesting because in the New Testament, there are times when Paul could have used um, the sort of Greek words for like mind or soul that chose to talk about spirit or heart. So it's like Paul is thinking and writing as a Hebrew, but may also be trying to resist, like I don't need to confuse what I'm talking about with the way the Greeks talk about this stuff. But we're, like our concepts are massively informed by we're Westerners. So Western civilization for thousands of years has had an influence on the way we think. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And, and the, so the Bible Project videos also actually topped it. Who listens to the Bible Project podcast? Yeah. So the videos are awesome, right? If you only watch the videos, that's like watching the trailer for Thor, Love and Thunder and be like, that's pretty good. Like, I don't think I need to see the film. Right? 
Because all of the detail and like unpacking it and like nerding out and discussing it and wrestling with it is in the podcasts. So if you like the Bible Project videos, and if you have the Bible Project app, you can find like the podcast on a particular topic really easily. Um, they do a really good job talking about some of this stuff. Um, they did a series on the Holy Spirit where they talked like three podcasts about what in the world Ruach is. So yeah, they're really cool stuff. And I think they talk about the whole Nefesh soul thing on a podcast as well. Okay. The passage in Romans talks about how the Spirit groans on our behalf. Yeah. And then uh, somewhere else it talks about, uh, you know, more of a celebratory mood to it. Yeah. And I'm wondering what those word groans. Like when I hear it going on and on about groaning, the last thing I want to do is get involved with prayer. It just sounds depressing. <laughs> um, and yeah. So I'm wondering if I'm somehow missing the mark in terms of what he means by groaning. Yeah. And. The word, like in Romans, the groaning, like the verse at the beginning is the whole creation groans like the pains of childbirth. Okay, so it's definitely not a good thing. No. Well, I think you say not a not good thing. Like if a woman is giving birth and cries out, that's like, no one's going to be like, could you keep it down? <laughs> like, like that's, because actually that's a good expression. Like that's an appropriate expression because of the pain and I think that's that's what it's getting at it's like we in our life are not supposed to live this exist like this thankfulness this praise this joy there are those things but we live in the now and the not yet so we are going to experience that tension and the spirit is going to help us interact with that tension and pray like in response to that tension in appropriate ways why didn't it just say that <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe it says something close to that in the message or a paraphrase translation. <laughs> yeah. But the childbirth imagery is like, that's pretty shocking, really, you know, imagery. Um, but, I, and it's one of those things like, I mean, this is a little bit of an aside. Like, I noticed this after COVID. And I noticed it first of all with our staff team. Because we came back, we couldn't meet, but we could use the office as long as we stayed all distant. And, um, and it was like, oh, this has really hurt people. And we need to like, we need to learn how to process, and we need to learn one of the biblical tools for responding to pain is lament, which is how do you cry out in pain? And uh, I was like, oh, we're gonna spend a day in prayer. And I told everyone, like, that we're not going to start praying for, like, COVID to go away. And, and he like, we're just going to spend the whole morning lamenting. And no one spoke for an hour. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize, like, this culture in North America doesn't know how to lament. And I was like, and it kind of made me think. And I actually explore lament in different cultures. And, like, some of the best books... Actually, my favorite book written on lament was by a bishop who went through the Rwandan genocide. Like, people who understand lament and how to do this, they, they've developed a specialization because of pain. And here we are in cultures, and North America isn't alone. Like, Roman society did it, Greek society, like, all through the ages. People have done, like denial, escapism, like these are not new psychological tools for us to defend ourselves against pain the Holy Spirit wants to do something more authentic so it's actually really interesting like 
we could see this as like, no, I don't want that. It's like, no, I'm not wanting that speaks to our own like emotional unhealth. Mm-hmm. We need this. Mm-hmm. We're just really bad at it. That's okay. Because the moment we realize we're bad, we're like, oh yeah, that's right. It said the spirit would do this. Mm-hmm. The spirit would enable this. Which is really awesome. <laughs> yeah. Alright, good question. Any more? You had a black arm with a black door behind it, <laughs> like hiding your arm. Okay, that's like what my answer is. So I think that's. Because <laughs> so you're talking about expressions of the Holy Spirit, and earlier you were talking about evil spirits, mm. and thinking about you know the Bible shows possession a lot, not necessarily possesses ownership as much. I mean, like they're technically the same, but yeah. The Bible doesn't actually say possession. It says demonized. That's the Greek word. Yeah. So whatever that means, that happens. Yes. Yeah. But my question is, like, the source is different, but functionally, is it similar, similarly expressed? So, like, you, you know, you're talking about expressions of the Holy Spirit with all, you know, yeah. songs from the Spirit, you know, the truth, source of that. Yeah. What does that look like? Is that even represented in the Bible? Because I've looked through, you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. I think it is really similar. I mean, I think, um, I think a lot of these kind of extent of influence, um, you know, seems there's a wide spectrum of influence, right? So, um, not every evil spirit that's going to interact with someone gets to just do whatever they want. Right? There are really mild sort of interactions with the forces of darkness. But then there's like King Saul, and the evil spirit troubled him, and he tried to murder someone. You know, so, so you get like, you do get really extreme uh, kind of things. And you get the same with the spirit of God. Right? Like, you get like these awesome passages, like the ideals of like, like Timothy stepping into his calling because of the anointing as Paul had prayed for him and laid his hands on him, like cool stuff like that. And yeah, you get the Corinthians who are obsessed about the spirit and Paul's like, you guys don't get it. You are so immature. You are so worldly. Like the fruits of the spirit, man, you guys are just, you're running on empty in your influence with the spirit, even though you've got the spirit. So it, it, it's, it can be in that spectrum for evil spirits and for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, can, do evil spirits, um, uh, can they bring the kind of spirit-to-spirit influence that the Holy Spirit can? There seem to be some examples of that. Can evil spirits, like, speak, like the Holy Spirit, like, I'm going to speak truth or to show you something or tell you something? Yeah, there's clear examples of that. You know, like the demoniac girl who kept around, you know, and Paul was like, zip it. Like, we don't want the, you know, we don't want demons, you know, preaching. We can do that ourselves. So, yeah, like, there's a, there's a range of things that seem to be able to happen. And it's, I don't know, it seems like weird, hooky, kind of strange spiritual stuff until we get out of our like modern western mindset and we're like oh we're actually spiritually active beings with a spirit that were designed to interact spiritually we were designed to interact with God's spirit and a bit with each other 
Um, so we're so the fact that evil spirits can interact with us isn't that weird, you know? That's like being able to see the color blue and being able to see the color red. Like, well, yeah, of course you can. Like our, our composition is such that we are designed to interact spiritually. So, yeah, it seems it seems weirder than it is sometimes because of our worldview. I think a little bit as well. Does that does that kind of answer? Yeah, this question is the same. The same. Topic. Oh, cool. Okay, so. Um, so our spirits are not a neutral thing. Neutral thing. Um, there's a spiritual battle going on. Is, is it happening? Let's see, within us or out there? Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, and I would say both. both. I would say both. Like Paul talks about the war between our flesh and yeah. the spirit, uh, which is that's going to be a Sunday. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, so pause. Continue that uh, later on. Um, but. You know, uh, like Daniel's a classic example. Daniel prays, wants an answer to prayer, and the archangel comes and says, dude, sorry you had to wait. There was a big battle between, like, me and the forces of evil. So the, the battle is happening out there as well. Yeah. And, like, just read Job. Yeah, beginning of Job. Place, like, so, so I think it's both. Yeah. Which is why Paul, you know... Uh, Paul talks about like we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Like part of our prayer life is like it involves praying in the midst of a battle, which is why like the armor of God in Ephesians six makes so much sense. Yeah, we're like we're in a battle zone. So as you were drawing that drawing, um, father is not son, which implies son is not father. Yeah. Um, the passage in uh, John ten thirty, I and my Father are one. How can you be separate? Yeah, and one. And one. Like my, me and Anna are one. But so we use that language of lots of things. Um, like biblically, use that language of lots of things. Where there's distinction, but also unity. So, like the question is, when that crops up in John, I and my Father are one. Like, is Jesus wanting to make a metaphysical statement about oneness, oneness of being, or is he pointing at something else? And or is it oneness of spirit? Yeah, well, I think the thing he's getting at there is oneness of purpose in the context of the interaction he's okay. having in John 10. Yeah. And, but it is, this is why perichoresis is such a good word. Like, we can't separate them. Like, you, you think you've got the father in a corner by himself, like, just to interact, and then you're like, oh, no, I've got a spirit and the son are here as well. Like, it, you just can't separate them. So, um, yeah, when, when we... Which is what puts the pressure on us of, like, not becoming tritheists in the way we interact with God. Like, that, that complete, like, oneness, you know. And, and that's part of what Jesus is getting at. Like, you're interacting with me, right now like you're questioning me do you realize you're questioning the father as well you know that like that's what it's yeah, kind of yeah. getting getting at it's like you know it's a two for one guys uh so yeah but but that's definitely like christians responding to greek philosophy trying to do metaphysics about the trinity which i'm a metaphysician i'm all like yes please awesome great fun uh <laughs> But that's not really the way that that's trying to translate from a biblical worldview to a Western worldview to give us a way to talk about this within our own worldview. That's 
that's not the way the biblical authors would have thought about things. But that's okay, that's what theology is. Theology is the task of taking like the raw materials of truth in the Bible and trying to give them some shape that we can actually handle to do stuff with, um, to remember and, and think through. So that's all right. Anything else? I'm not as far along in my journey as a lot of you guys are, but I had, I struggle with uh, God and Jesus as, as I, okay, I believe in Jesus, okay, as I believe in this church right here, okay? So I mean, he was a physical person, proof of that everywhere okay I can I, I can rationalize that okay what I'm struggling with is okay is God a separate person or is God Jesus Jesus yeah that yeah so God manifested himself to a human Jesus yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like we can picture like God in heaven and then we've got like Jesus shows up and gets born so we're like, we could ask the question, like, where is God? Like, is he not there anymore because he's here? So where was he? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Where was he when Jesus was born and Jesus going through life and, you know, yeah. knowing he's going to be crucified? Is that, I mean, and then he's on the cross talking about God has forsaken me. So clearly, if God like, is yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So Jesus is God, but he's not the Father. So that's, that's this... Uh, like, Matt, you remember the, the Cerberus thing? Like the dog with three heads, right? So uh, you, you've got these three, and they, before the incarnation, they exist as spiritual beings. They, they're not material, they're not physical, they don't have a location, there's a spirit. But they're totally united, but they're three persons, but they're one being. When the incarnation happens, like, it's not like they get split apart. It's not like one head gets locked off. But one head, instead of expressing itself as a divine spirit, Philippians 2 says that Jesus, is the second person in the Trinity, emptied himself and took the form of flesh. So that, that same person that used to express his personhood through just being pure spirit, now expressed his personhood through being a human being which meant an awful lot of limitation which is why it can say things in the gospel like Jesus grew in his relationship with God in his relationship with the Father but there's probably a he point he grew in his relationship to God he grew in a relationship to himself yeah and that, I think that I mean it doesn't say when it says grew in relationship with God it means the Father like the Father in heaven but I think also there's a point in, at which Jesus realized his own divinity. Because I'm still in the Old Testament here, and I'm going through all the, you know, where the word of God has, like, destroyed everything. Yeah. All the cities and towns and everything. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, well. Yeah. Brutal, different times. Yeah. Brutal times. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, that's good. Okay, is that enough for tonight?
Yes. Okay, I'm going to pray us out. If you've got more questions, you can always come up to me. It's not like I'm ever going to say, no, I'm not interested in questions. I love questions. So you can always come find me. Uh, always up for a chat. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Um, help us. There's probably like big picture things tonight that will help give us a framework for keeping learning about you. We're, we're all like different places in our journey, different things to explore. And so help that settle in. But also, I wonder if there's something for each of us tonight where you're like, hey, actually, I want to talk to you about that. That, that one verse or that one thing is actually really important because that's something I want to do, I want to grow you in. So if there's anything like that, help that just really float to the surface for us and help us keep thinking, keep praying, keep talking to people about it. Um, and you'd just, you'd lead us, you'd show us which we just talked about, Holy Spirit, that is part of your job and it's part of what you do. And so we just entrust ourselves to you and your work. Amen. Amen. All right, well, thank you for being here. Awesome to hang with you. Thank you. And, uh, thank you. Yeah, keep asking yes. questions. We'll do more of these as events forward. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.